0: Well, the, the date was April 18th, 1521. And before that, <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Terry and Candy Cook, would the first through third graders please go find the cooks and get ready for class. Thanks for the whistle, guys. Right before I got into the serious illustration. Wow, a lot of first through third graders. Awesome. Have fun, kids, with the cooks. It'll be a blast. Well, it was. (laughs) April 18th, 1521. Does that date sound familiar? The location was Worms, Germany. The occasion a German monk stood trial before the Holy Roman Emperor, King Charles V, and other religious elites. The charge, heresy. The monk taught and wrote against the Catholic Church. He taught and wrote of a biblical salvation by faith alone and in Christ alone. The monk's books were laid out in front of him. The question from the diet was direct and simple. Do you, Martin Luther, recant your teachings written in these books? Well, the monk had taken 24 trembling hours before he made his final statement. He considered... His defense, he considered the ramifications of what he was about to say. But finally, he had the courage, the strength to say this. He said, I will speak clearly. Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot recant. My conscience is bound by the word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God, help me. Christian, I have a question for you this morning. Will you stand? Will you stand when your freedoms are on the line, when your comforts, are on the line when your life is on the line Christian will you stand when your test your trial comes will you stand by the word of God and in the strength of Jesus Christ you have to understand this morning Christian that this is war This is war. The Christian life is a call to arms. It's not about just the big tests that might come one day or the big trial that you need to pass. But every day is a battle. Every day. And if you are in Christ, you are enlisted into his army. And you're expected to fight. Every day we have battles to fight, Christian. Every day, temptations to overcome, trials to endure, attacks to resist. There is an enemy at work. This is war. We have a strong enemy. And let me just tell you, it's not politicians. On the right or on the left. It's not a pandemic It's not the Taliban. Our enemy is greater. And he is a spiritual force working behind the scenes to corrupt and destroy everything. This is war. Will you stand? Will you stand? I'll tell you, the day gets darker. Our enemy grows stronger The church has taken some hits, even in the past two years. There are dead soldiers all around us. I'm not talking about physically, but spiritually. Christians who have fallen into the grip of sin and the enemy have been deceived and taken by the enemy. The war is here, Christian. Your test is coming your test is upon you, your trial is coming, the trial is upon you, will you stand in Christ and fight the good fight? You know, the Apostle Paul didn't say at the end of his life, well, I bought a house. I paid off my mortgage. I secured a good pension. I raised the picture-perfect family. They are Instagrammable, in fact. No, The Apostle Paul said, I fought. I fought the good fight. And the Apostle Paul himself prepares us for war. He prepares us to stand, Christian. So why don't you open your Bibles to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, and we are finally at verse 10. And prepare for war. Prepare for war. This is a fight, a battle, the Christian life. Well, let me remind you of some context. Paul, as we've seen, has taken the Ephesians to the summit of their salvation. The first half of the book of Ephesians is a mountainous testimony of God's salvation. It's huge. The first chapter, we get heaven's perspective of salvation. In chapter 2, we get the human perspective of salvation, the power of God at work in you, in your life. And in chapter 3, we saw a sort of salvation appendix, clarification and purpose behind the mystery of our salvation. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, we get to the practical, living out your salvation The key transition, if you remember, was in chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. In other words, Ephesians, here is the mountain of your salvation. It is a mountainous testimony of what God has done in your life. Now, balance the scales in your own life. Live up to this calling. Chapter 4 focuses on church life. Chapter 5 focuses on your walk. That is your everyday habits and your speech. The end of chapter 5, beginning of 6, focuses on the family. And now chapter 6, verse 10. It is the beginning of Paul's final charge. He says, look at verse 10, finally. Finally. Do you see that there, that first word? Finally. These are his last words. And as you know, last words are very important. We can't miss this. We have to feel the angst and urgency in Paul's writing here. He says, finally, finally. And I'll read the whole text. We're going to get through verse verse 13 this morning. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Let's pray before we move forward. Father, I pray for all of us together that we would stand. Too many Christians, or at least those who put on the Christian name tag, have fallen. They've not standed. They've, through attack, trial, testing, persecution, whatever it is, they've, they've fallen into the grips of the evil one and sin. God, I pray that that would not be the case for Summit Bible Church. I pray that we would be a church that stands in the strength of Christ against the evil one with the whole armor of God. Help us to do that, Lord. We need your help. We need your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. First point in your outline, be strong in Christ. You see that in verse 10. Be strong in Christ. Finally, be strong. There's the first command we come to. This command is interesting. Two points. The command is first plural, which tells us that this is a command for the church together. A lot of pastors, preachers will take this passage and apply it just to the individual Christian. Say, you Christian need to be prepared for war, so you need to put on the whole armor of God. Well, get this. What Paul tells us by this command is that this is something we do together. We need the church to put on the whole armor of God together. There is no lone warrior Christianity. We're in this fight together. So first, the command is plural. Second, it is a present passive imperative. I'll tell you what that means. Present passive imperative means that Paul is commanding you to do something that has to be done to you. Interesting. So Paul tells you to do something That has to be done to you. You could translate this, be strengthened. That would be the passive there. Be strengthened. This tells us that the Ephesians are not to muster up the courage or strength within themselves. The the strength comes from outside of themselves. Interesting. You know, I I often tell my kids, this is my line, I, I tell them all the time. And I caught myself this week. If my kids will fall down, or if my boy is scared to go upstairs and get his toys, I'll say, Reagan John, be strong. Be strong. And often I'll follow up with, figure it out. (laughs) Be strong. I caught myself this week because what I mean by that is I want him to muster up the strength, the courage to resist the pain himself, to figure it out himself. And I stopped the other day and wondered, is that biblical? Is that helpful for me to tell my boy, hey, you be strong within yourself? I don't know. Because this passage tells us strength comes from outside of ourselves. Maybe there's something better that I can tell my children See, the power, the strength is not within you. It's outside of you. There's an external power source. It's in someone else. And the Apostle Paul makes it plain and clear. Who is the power in? It is in the Lord. Do you see that there in the passage? Be strong or be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might or in the might of his strength. Praise God. The power is in Christ. Praise God for that, Christian, because guess what? If the power was within ourselves, we would have failed a long time ago. We would have fallen a long time ago. We cannot and we we will not stand in our own power, but God is our anchor. He is our strength. He is our hope. He secures our salvation. And so the strength is in him. It's his power that holds me. You know, we go to the beach with our, our kids, and we're now going to the Orange County beaches because they're a little bit closer before we go to San Diego because that was closer. But you might be familiar with the Orange County beaches. There's a lot of shore break in Orange County, a lot of shore break. Maybe we're going to the wrong beach. I don't know. You can tell me afterwards. But um, for the kids, that's hard. They're little still. Those, those waves come in and they're big. and That wave will come in and suck them right out. They can't stand in their own strength. But if I'm holding them, I'm a little bit stronger. Praise God. If I'm holding them, they can. See, that's the Christian life. Is on our own. We can't stand. We will be swept away by the waves. But in Christ, we can. By his strength, we can stand through any test, trial, temptation, persecution, or attack. I want to read quickly through these verses in the Bible that just emphasizes that our strength is not in ourselves. Notice where our strength is found. And notice with whom, with, that key prepositional phrase, with whom it is found. Exodus fifteen two, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 24, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Who gets the victory? Is it you? No, it is God who fights for you. He is with you. Finally, Joshua 1.9, this is the famous verse in the Bible. Everybody quotes for be strong and courageous. You might see this on letterman jackets or, you know, football players at Our Christians will say, oh, be strong and courageous in the Lord. But notice how Joshua is to be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you. That's why Joshua could conquer the land of Canaan. Not because Joshua was anything special, but because God was with him, strengthening him. Listen, Christian, true power in the Christian life is in the arms of God. And you might ask yourself, what kind of power does God have? What kind of power is actively holding me, is working for me and with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. It is extraordinary power. We've already gone through this in Ephesians, but I want to just take you to the precipice of God's power for you to see from the cliff God's power displayed. I have a picture here. Anybody know where this is? This is Nazare, Portugal. This is, known to man, the biggest wave on earth. These waves roll in at 60, 70, 80 a hundred feet tall huge these waves can swallow a five-story building that's how big they are and that little speck right there is a surfer a crazy man who's out there big wave surfing and and you'll see there there's a lighthouse at the end of this cliff and every year they have the big wave surfing competition you'll see thousands of spectators On this lighthouse, looking down at incredible displays of power. I mean, these waves are powerful. A powerful display. Well, Christian, what I want to do is remind you, I want to take you again to the lighthouse, to the precipice for you to look down and see extraordinary power that is at work in your life and toward you. Turn back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Hopefully, this stirs up the memory of where we've been, this extraordinary power of God. Remember, Paul prays in Ephesians 1, we're going to be in 19, he prays that that you, Christian, would know, that you would know, first, what is the hope to which you've been called, verse 18, two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, verse 18, And he prays again that you would know, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? This is power that cannot be measured by feet, by miles, by kilometers. This is power immeasurable. And look at the next phrase. Toward us who believe. This immeasurable power is toward who? You, Christian. This is the power that has worked in your life. Now, what is the measure of this power? What's the display? Look at the rest of 19 and 20. This power is according to the working of his great might. Again, it's his strength that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christian, this is your power plant. It is the resurrection, ascension, and ruling power of Christ. He was raised from the dead and seated above all others, all other powers. There's not a king on earth that is more powerful than Christ because he's above them all. And with this same power, Christian, he raised you from the dead. The waves of Nazareth cannot bring you back to life. Christ did. He resurrected you spiritually. And not only that, but if you remember in chapter 2, he has seated you in the heavenly places with Christ. Your salvation is secure in Christ. Your salvation and your position is secured by his power. No one can take that from you. They may attack you. They may persecute you. They may slander you. They may mock you. They may even kill you but only physically. They cannot take the power of God in you, which is your secure position and salvation in Jesus Christ. No one can take that from you. No demonic or satanic force, not even the enemy himself, because your victory is in Christ. Listen to this, Christian. Your anchor your anchor, your trust, your hope is not in politicians. It's, it's not in the great America or ideals. Your anchor is in a throne. He holds the rope to your life. That is extraordinary power. And if you know that, if you are confident in those truths about his salvation in your life, then, Christian, you can stand through any trial. You can stand through any temptation, the persecution, the attacks. Your strength is in him. He'll never let you go. So when Paul says, be strengthened, Christian, he's not saying, you know, pull the Popeye, you know, blow on the thumb and bulge out your muscles. Be No, he's saying, rely on the power of Christ. He'll hold you. He'll hold you. And when the going gets tough, remember, he holds the rope. Where is your strength, Christian? If you lack courage today, if you lack strength or the energy to fight, then look to Christ. Remember what he accomplished for you. Remember who holds the rope. Point number two. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. Verse 11 and 13 kind of say the same thing. So I'm, I'm saving both of those for last, but I'm going to take a detour here with Paul in verse 12 when he describes our enemy, okay? So verse 12, we understand the nature of our war, who we fight against. Look at verse, the end of verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not so much a physical war. It's a spiritual war. We wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Notice the word, the apostle Paul repeats the word against five times. He's emphasizing something here. Saying, know who you stand against not physical positions or or powers. It's not politicians. It's not a political party. It's not big tech. It's not government. It's not universities. It's not even the Taliban. Now, these are physical forces, and Paul says our fight is against spiritual forces, spiritual ones. Now, that is not to say that some of these physical forces could have spiritual ones behind them, motivating them, persuading them. The evil one could very much be in this world and in the systems of this world. And it looks like he is. It's getting worse. But we need to exercise good biblical discernment. We need to know, hey, listen, our enemy, the the great enemy is behind this. It's a spiritual force. Let's look at the profile of our greatest enemy. We see first in the text that he's a schemer. We need to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is a master strategist. He's bigger than the red guy with the pitchfork and horns. He's been at this for 6,000 plus years. He knows what he's doing. He's clever. He's a schemer. He's a planner. He's a strategist. He doesn't lay quiet and wait for things to happen that go in his favor. He makes opportunities. He plays the long game and the short game. He's a schemer. We also see in the text here, it's not flesh and blood powers, but there are cosmic and spiritual rulers, authorities, and powers. This isn't a one-man show. It's not just Satan, but he has an entire army. Some commentators note that maybe there's a division between ranks here, powers and authorities. There's a whole system here, no doubt. And they have assignments that are beyond the physical. It's interesting to note in Daniel chapter 10 that the angel who ministered to Daniel told him he was stopped in a battle against the princes, demonic forces, of Persia. That's what withheld him the archangel Michael swooped in, helped a brother out. They fought the fight. They they won that battle. But there's an interesting insight here. There were demons, spiritual forces, assigned to Persia at that time, assigned to the Persian Empire, the world empire at that time. This isn't a one-man army. There are spiritual legions around the world that are daily fighting against us. I mean, do you think that what's happening in Afghanistan right now is just a, a happy coincidence for Satan? Do you think that all these tests and trials that the church has gone through in the past two years, just a lucky draw for the evil one? Finally, he's uh, finally a hand in my favor. No, he's working. He's working. When things seem quiet, he is active. The scriptures say. The scriptures tell us that 1 Peter 5.8, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us his agenda. He's blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. John 8.44 says he's a murderer and he was one from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There's no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us his strategy, how he accomplishes this. He says even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's actively throwing flaming darts, arrows, at the church, at Christians, even unbelievers. Make no mistake, Christian, Paul wants to show us that we have an active enemy, a master strategist, a powerful foe. He's working to induce fear, to discourage faith, to keep you comfortable behind a screen so that when life's attack hits you between the eyes, you wouldn't see it coming. He can't take the church. Remember what Christ said? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. But he can take culture. He can take the world. First John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Ephesians 2, 2, he is the prince of the power of the air. He's working in this world. He would love for people. He would love it if people would continuously live in fear. Oh, he would love it if people would continue to believe the lies of this world. If if the church would just keep fighting each other, he would be happy. Oh, if Christians would spend three hours or more a day scrolling through social media, that would help him out. Anything that would distract, divide, and dissuade against Christ and those who stand in him. Christian, don't sit and watch the world fall apart. Know your enemy. Discern his attack so that you can stand and fight. And how do we do this? How do we stand and fight against the enemy, the evil one? I want to get very practical because, you know, if I just say, hey, stand, resist the enemy, you're like, okay, what do I do? Where is he coming from? Which way is he coming? This is how you stand, Christian. The premier example is Christ. He showed us how. And remember, our power, our strength is in him. Christ defeated the enemy. He withstood his attack, his persecution, his trial, his test. Do you remember that? And he did it with a shield and with a sword. You know, the, uh, the late, great Kobe Bryant, in an interview with ESPN, he talks about where all his moves on the basketball court came from. He says, there isn't a move that I do, that hasn't come before me. He said, I, I copy and I steal all my moves from the greats who played before me. Oscar Robertson's, Robertson's attack to the basket. Jerry West's jump shot. Magic Johnson's vision and passing ability. He said, I was a student of the game. I would watch film and take notes and then copy. Christian, let's watch our champion work. Let's take notes and let's copy how he resists the enemy. And we saw him resist the enemy, the attack of Satan, in Matthew chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I have the passage up here on the screen. I just want us to roll the film here and to watch what Jesus does to withstand the attacks of Satan. I'll read through it quickly. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Let me just tell you, that's a recipe for disaster for me. If I'm hungry, I'm fallen. Not our Lord. The tempter came. He is a tempter. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory because he is the prince of the power of the air. He said to him, I'll give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God. In him alone you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So how do we stand, Christian? How do we fight against the enemy? What did we note? What did Jesus say three times? It is written. Know the word of God. Read the word of God. Dwell on the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Day and night, and you will be like a tree, strong cedar planted by streams of water. Psalm 1. Wield the sword. Take up the shield of faith and the promises of God that are revealed in Scripture. But neglect him. Neglect the word of God. Forsake it. Forget about it. You will surely fall. You want to be able to stand against the attacks of the enemy? You want to stand against this formidable foe? Know your Bible. Dwell on it. Meditate on it. Day and night. Point number three, and we'll move quickly through this one. Suit up to stand. Suit up to stand. Finally, verses 11 and 12, or 11 and 13, they basically say the same thing. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, having done all to stand firm. This is imagery of a soldier dressing for battle, getting ready for war. There are certain pieces of necessary equipment to be prepared for any attack or any situation. And the pieces are laid out in detail in verses 14 to 20. We'll get there because there's a lot, there's such depth in the pieces of armor that we see here. But the point of our text today is just to show you to put on the whole armor. Put on the whole thing. Don't neglect any of these pieces. And for you to feel an urgency to put on the armor. What Paul is saying in these setup verses is be prepared, Christian. Suit up to stand. When you read through verses 14 to 20, you'll see that it really all points to Christ. You see the means of grace, like, the word and and prayer. You see the essential truths of the gospel, like truth, righteousness, salvation, and peace. But you put all those pieces together and you get a complete image of Christ. So if we were to simplify what it means to put on the whole armor of God, I would say what Romans 13, 12, and 14 already says, put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. See, the, Paul asks you to fasten the belt of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith. Philippians says, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Put on the shoes, the gospel of peace. Ephesians 2 says, he came and preached the gospel of peace. Put on the helmet of salvation, 1 Thessalonians 5 says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to put on the whole armor of God, Christian? Put on Christ. What does that mean? How do you put a person on you? Read of Christ. Love Christ. Know Christ. Imitate Christ. Christ follow Christ walk like him talk like him isn't that what Paul has been saying this whole time follow him the whole armor is in Christ so grow Christian to become more like him and we'll again get more specific in these pieces of armor as we move through this passage but I want us to notice lastly what does the armor prepare you for what's the goal Christian Paul says it multiple times in our text. The goal, Christian, is not that you'd be ready to attack, ready to charge, flank left, flank right, pursue the enemy. No. Paul says your goal, Christian, our goal together, Christians, is to stand. To stand strong. To hold our ground against the attacks of the enemy. You don't have to go find the enemy. He's going to find you. He's going to attack you in a variety of ways in your life. But your goal, Christian, and our goal is to stand. You don't want a glass jaw, spiritually. You know the term glass jaw used in boxing? It's another word for a weak chin. It's if a a boxer is easily knocked out. Confession, I have a glass jaw. I have a weak chin, physically. Physically. I've been knocked out cold three times in my life. They were all in football, not fights. <laughs> well, that's why I have a motorcycle helmet right next to my self-defense weapon at home. So that, I, you know, if the guy comes in, I'll be ready. I'm putting the helmet on first. Because if I take something to chin, I'm out. Glass jaw. Listen, too many Christians have glass jaws spiritually. They're not prepared. They don't have the whole armor of God on. They can't take hits. They're easily offended, easily tempted, easily ensnared, easily tested, easily give in. They're easily knocked down, easily pushed over, pinned to the ground. The word wrestle in verse 12 is a picture of hand-to-hand combat. This is jujitsu. Your goal is to be the man or woman on top, standing, not on the ground, not blindsided, by an unforeseen attack, not tripping over your own feet, not knocked over by the outside force or pressure, but standing, holding your ground, Christian, when the attacks hit you. Let me ask you, have you done all that you can do to stand? Have you done all to be prepared? Do you see that phrase there in the text? Verse 13, having done all to stand firm. Let me ask you, in your struggle against sin, have you resisted to the point of shedding blood? Hebrews 12, 4. Have you removed all opportunities for the enemy? Ephesians 4, 27. Have you radically removed temptation in your life? Matthew chapter 5. Are you making every effort to supplement your faith? 2 Peter 1, 5 through 5-7. Are you diligently pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith love steadfastness gentleness 1st Timothy 6:11 Are you night and day meditating on the word of God like the strong cedar planted by streams of water Psalm 1 What are you doing to fight the good fight of faith Christian to stand strong to hold your ground against the attacks of the enemy Or are you easily ensnared by them? Easily pushed around by them? Stand strong, Christian. Prepare to fight every day. Battles come our way every day. I'll tell you what, whatever comes my way, whether it's persecution, attack, trial, tests, temptation, I want the Lord to find me standing. Not in my own strength, but in his. Because that's the only way I'm going to make it. And some of Bible Church, I preach this message to you, not just because it's the next text that we go to, but I want you to stand with me. I want us to stand together strong in the Lord. A church that is equipped in the scriptures. A church that is equipped in prayer. A church that that has the belt of truth fastened, that has the breastplate of righteousness secure, that has on our shoes a readiness to share the gospel of peace, that has taken up the shield of faith, that wears the helmet of salvation. I want us to be men and women with Bibles in our hands, maybe scars, but not on the ground. We're standing. Still standing when the Lord finds us. Not by our strength, but in his. This is war, Christian. Be strong, know your enemy, and get ready to stand. Let me pray. Father, oh, we need you so badly. We can't do it without you. We can't fight without your strength. We are so weak in and of ourselves. God, I pray that you would give us as Christians the strength to stand strong in Christ. God, as Christians, we need this message. We need to be reminded of this war, these battles that we fight to be ready, to be prepared. But Lord, I just think about the non-Christian out there today, Lord. Maybe the non-Christian in this auditorium who does not know Christ. Oh, would would they experience, would God, you press upon their hearts the horrors of what it means to try to live this life without Christ. God, I pray that you would convict them of their sin, that they would turn from it and turn to the only strength, the only hope, the only faith we have, which is in Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died in our place, took the wrath we deserved in our place, and he rose again from the dead. And he has ascended to the right hand of God, the power above all powers, and strength is only found in him. pray that non-Christians would receive Christ today, that they would place their faith and trust in Christ and experience true strength in salvation. And Lord, as we as believers live in this dark day, this evil age, would you continue to give us strength to stand? Remind us of our secure position, our salvation in Christ. And when the attacks come, may we be able to resist them standing strong in you. Help us, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.